Hey everyone, uh, this is Nikhil Torsakar coming to you from Chicago with the Shelley story. My wife Shelley and I, uh, we wrote a book and are working on a screenplay of our story and our journey with bipolar disorder. Five years ago, I had been diagnosed uh, with bipolar disorder after about two decades of going through the disorder on an undiagnosed uh, basis. And it was really my wife Shelley who helped me face the music, uh, seek treatment, and help me get on the road to recovery. So very fortunate about that. And as an offshoot of that, we launched a platform called The Shelley Story, which is a podcast uh, where we have discussions with folks in the mental health space on a variety of different levels, uh, everything from practitioners uh, to folks with the disorder, and then folks who have helped uh, come up with strategies for managing the disorder. So we've talked about Ayurveda, we've talked about meditation, but today's guest I'm very, very excited about. His name is Jeff Brown. He and I actually met on uh, Twitter Spaces, which is a, it's a, it's a new platform for people to engage on a variety of different topics. So he and I chatted and then we had uh, continued the dialogue offline. And I just thought I just thought that it would be really interesting because he has a very interesting story. He has a very interesting platform. I thought it'd be great to have him on the show. Uh, just talk to him about his background, talk to him about his experiences. So, Jeff, really excited to have you here. Thanks so much for uh, offering your time. Definitely. Nikhil, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, like you said, you know, we met on Twitter Spaces, which is awesome. I love that feature of the, of the platform. But, you know, this is something that I've been doing uh, online and offline. It's just advocating for people with serious mental illness and bipolar disorder, you know, learning more and sharing what I've experienced in terms of mental health and illness and neurodiversity. So excited yeah. to have the conversation. Um, yeah, for sure. For just sure. For that, just for so, folks that don't know, my name's Jeff Brown, but I also go by the Bipolarist online. Yeah. So Jeff, thanks. Thanks so much. But I think it'd be very helpful if you could uh, just give us a walkthrough of your background and just what brought you to this position you're in right now, which is uh, trying to be do more for bipolar advocacy. And also just, I guess, as they say, your day job, uh, sort of what, uh, you know, what you're doing professionally. Gladly. So I, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at 21 back in college, uh, almost 40 now, and have had a, a career and an academic and professional career uh, that was quite colorful. I've been, uh, I've been a salesperson. I've been a chess coach. I'm a, I'm a product manager and entrepreneur in the past. Now I'm looking into getting into more in sort of neurodiversity and bipolar activists, uh, getting into mental mental health and, and fighting stigma. That's something that I'm mostly transitioning into now. But, but yeah, product ownership, product management. Um, you know, my my uh, moniker online as far as my tech career uh, has been an app strategist. So I'm someone that works in mobile applications, helping define and design and deliver features to mobile apps for enterprises and and founders and you know and other other uh, folks who just want to get an app out. So that's something I've been doing for the past eight years. Uh, I'm also a patented inventor. I was fortunate to be able to work with the patent program uh, at Capital One and get a couple patents through the USPTO. So something I was really proud of uh, that I always wanted to do uh, was to get become an inventor. And now that I am, uh, like I said, it's just looking into transitioning into a new part of my career uh, where I get to speak more about my personal experiences as a as a, someone with this condition or neurodivergence and you know, all the things I've, I've experienced through the mental health paradigm and as it stands today in the medical model of mental health and disability in, in, in the United States. Great, great. It's very heartening to see that mental health is getting a lot more focused these days with platforms such as Twitter Spaces. There's all kinds of online communities like uh, BP Hope, there's Psych Central, NAMI is a big one. So there's definitely, I think, a lot of awareness uh, that's increasing. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and apprehension. And it's kind of a black box uh, when it comes to bipolar disorder, because I think sometimes people think, okay, you know, is it you're happy one day, you're sad the next, are you difficult to deal with? Obviously, I think the hallmark, the, the trademark uh, signs would be periods of uh, dizzy, as I, I always like to say, as periods of dizzying heights uh, followed by incapacitating lows. Uh, but maybe if you could talk briefly about uh, what bipolar looked like for you. I think that for me, my symptoms of this mood disorder manifest in high school. 
Uh, I had pretty extreme irritability. Um, I was uh, easily agitated. And I think what I was going through was like uh, a mixed state. That's what we talk about sometimes with bipolar, where I, I would be very um, anxious, which I didn't really understand as a symptom or feeling or emotion for a long time uh, up until like recently. But I was just so, so frustrated and uh, impatient. And it seemed like I was talking a million miles a minute, uh, like I was hyper-functioning when it came to things that I was interested in. And that sort of trended as I got deeper and deeper into, uh, you know, high school and then into college. And I think what really made it clear to me that my brain was working differently than other people's was in college, I started to research uh, time. My experience of time was accelerating, uh, what I noticed at the beginning of the semester, you know, when all the activity of back then, like adding and dropping courses and changing classrooms and teachers and, all, and so on, uh, and all the different activities about this, this you know, and, and, and uh, excitement that comes at the beginning of the semester. And then as it got into midterms and, and toward the end of the semester, particularly in the fall, uh, I would start to get depressed. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I would be overwhelmed. I'd get stressed out. And then I would be, you know, withdrawn and, and reclusive. And my, my sense of time would slow to a crawl. So mm-hmm. this is something that plagued me for, you know, I was in college for nine years. And it plagued mm-hmm. me throughout. And it wasn't until I got on these medications for bipolar disorder, uh, which, you know, was a pretty uh, colorful path or colorful track to get to that, did I start to stabilize. And, mm-hmm. you know, eventually, about my seventh year into college, I got on uh, an ADD medication, which helped me tremendously and helped me graduate uh, thereafter very quickly, taking more credits than I'd ever taken. You know, I, I've been on um, my cocktail medication for all but about six months of my adult life. Um, I'm almost 40 now. And mm-hmm. I've had a, you know, pretty colorful career as well, professionally. Mm-hmm. started off as a test coach in college. Uh, and then I uh, got did to work. You say, sorry, did you did, and, did, did you say you started out as a chess coach? Yeah. So, uh, so okay. when I transferred school to the home uh, after getting diagnosed, I came home uh, to live with my parents. Uh, and then I also transferred schools to George Mason University. And mm-hmm. when I was I was in school there, uh, it was a commuter school primarily. It was a small, mm-hmm. not small, big commuter school. Uh, they didn't have a lot of uh, on-campus housing. So I was commuting from home about a half hour away or so. And uh, I needed ways to make friends. So I mm-hmm. started a chess club and uh, and found out, you know, over the course of my, my tenure at George Mason, that there was a huge population of chess heads and like mm. people that study chess were even titled players uh, on campus. Uh, we actually... Uh, found an international master as our professor, was a professor who was an international who became our advisor. We found uh, people with national master, candidate master, and, and like FIDE master titles. Uh, but we were just a very competitive club and team. We made a uh, you know a name for ourselves on the East Coast. So mm-hmm. we did um, really well. Won a bunch of state championships, and you know I got the chance to teach some some uh, elementary school kids down the down the street at uh, Fairview Elementary, uh, some probably the most rewarding job of my life, to be honest. Um, we taught those kids how to play chess for about five years after school. So um, I was a chess coach at first, and I went on to uh, work for my parents. They had a, a heating and air conditioning firm for about 40, 42 years. And I, w- I came in on about year 39. So I, I went to work as a sales engineer, helping people understand and learn more about how to replace their, their heating and air conditioning systems and helping them uh, design those uh, in uh, going into people's homes and measuring and surveying. And but quickly sort of started to transition into more of my, uh, my wheelhouse, which is tech uh, and mm-hmm. IT yep. and marketing. So I, I took over a lot of responsibilities uh, for my mother and stepfather and worked with my stepbrother to just run the business, uh, helping them, my parents uh, retire. Um, mm-hmm. And I got to work as sort of like a, a little mini executive uh, mm-hmm. at a small business uh, from very early on, like my first real full-time gig. And so that, you know, that experience really defined the trajectory of my career. Is I've always felt like uh, like a leader and yeah. had a founder mentality, uh, which has helped me a yeah. lot as I've transitioned from 
from HVAC yeah. sales to tech sales to entrepreneurship. Uh, I eventually got into a web agent web agency uh, with after I got a Scrum Master certification, which is like a, a project management sort of certification in the yep. uh, agile methodology uh, for software development. Mm -hmm. um, One of the things I find interesting about your background, Jeff, is that it's a great mix of corporate as well as entrepreneurial, because it sounds like you went the opposite way, which is you started out uh, in more of the entrepreneurial environment and then went uh, corporate. You mentioned that you had uh, done some time at Capital One. I, I will share from, from my aspect, um, I personally, with bipolar disorder, I found it very challenging to work in a corporate environment just because it's a very neurotypical uh, focused or biased environment, which is there's certain deadlines, there's certain rules of the road, there's certain expectations that I think people with bipolar disorder for all their strengths, it can be very challenging to navigate those constraints. Sometimes you feel like you're a round peg in a square hole. Can you talk to me a little bit more about what that was like for you in terms of navigating um, going between uh, this environment where you were able to sort of uh, chart your own path with the entrepreneurial scene to the corporate nine to five environment? Sure, sure. You know, I think it's interesting because a lot of the experiences that I had in, in high school and college with bipolar disorder, uh, mm -hmm. with like waning and fluctuating moods and, and yep. attention and focus, um, you know, and all the, all the things that you, you traditionally hear about people with, with mania. And they really did, were, they really were a feature of my career as well. Than they had right. right um you know mm -hmm. I, I mentioned working in sales uh i mentioned working in in uh you know like refrigeration engineering hvac and at a web agency but all these jobs like you said was like very neurotypical sort of mm -hmm. like um, um very structured environment there's a there's a expectation that you're moving with urgency at all times and it's sometimes difficult for someone who's got a really creative brain which is a, a feature of folks that have uh, bipolar disorder where some of the more creative types of folks on the planet and yep. it's it's difficult to just to work in a um in an environment that is a, is very structured or hierarchical uh where you have a very specific area of focus and it might not be your uh your wheelhouse so that's something that i struggled with you know originally uh and then as i got to work in the more uh, in tech in a little bit more creative arenas in entrepreneurship i was really yep. able to chase my path and focus on the topics that I think were most interesting to me, um, <clears throat> which helped me uh, move a lot faster, you know, and really stretch my legs. So yeah, uh, I got to be, um, I, I got to work with very, some very bright people, specifically at the, the web agency that I worked at. Uh, when I founded my agency, working with some of the clients I had the chance to, to support and including some solopreneurs and people that wanted to build apps, I got into designing and defining those apps for them and um, i was able to cherry pick, sort of cherry pick what projects i got to work on yeah uh, so i was you know especially with like the founders that were the most uh, inspirational you know with their story and their vision for their product they, they're the ones that really got me on board and, and sort of like enrolled me into their idea uh, which mm -hmm. helped me stay committed and, and helped me like really explore and discover what the best solution would be for their for their platform or whatever they wanted me to help help them build. I, yeah. I, it was interesting because as I was working in my agency, uh, I was sort of like building lines of business for people. If I wasn't building mm -hmm. an app for you, I was expanding your business because, you know, like the combination of uh, digital strategy or tech skills that I have, uh, but then also, uh, you know, like the marketing stuff that I learned from my mom working at the, the HVAC company um, mm -hmm. sort of connected me with like how to grow a business and how to grow an, an idea for a business beyond you know beyond just building a, a, a piece of software so that's something that uh, became a feature of my career early on and something i carried into my work at, at capital one uh, which is where i was able to become a, uh, an inventor um mm -hmm. you know and it's like when you when you get to work with really bright people really like you know creative minds uh it i think it brings the best out in anybody you know right. but um it was because I was hired into a job function that was, you know, very much for a linear-minded person, someone that mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. focused on the task, be very diligent, be very uh, authoritative, you know, uh, right. and influential. And some of those things are are, are features of uh, like the, especially the influence and um, <clears throat> charisma, and negotiation, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, those things are features of, of people with bipolar disorder who experience like hypomania, uh, which can be like, you know, you become very magnetic uh, right. and influential and people, you know, you develop a following. Uh, it, it's something that you can you can feature or manifest if, if you have uh, if you're experiencing that, that portion of the condition. But it's not something that is easily sustained for the for the mid or long term, you know, as right. you're as you're brain and body sort of use up the energy and uh you know the the mood passes you know fortunately you you succumb to more re recuperative or uh you become depressed sometimes i mean i'll share a little bit about my uh my, my experiences with that because you know i um i had gone to a good business school i worked at some of the top consulting firms very high pressure environment i used to be in financial services and for somebody with bipolar disorder that kind of career can be very challenging just because initially it's very exciting. Uh, there was a podcast uh, I listened to uh, with Paul English. I think I, I passed it on to you, uh, Jeff, but the interviewer asks about shiny object syndrome. You know, when you're, when you have bipolar disorder, uh, there's a lot of flights of fancy. There's a tendency towards uh, unbridled creativity. And so with consulting, it's about getting things done quickly. It's about parachuting into a new city, whether it's London or New York or, and, and just having these challenges, you know, these puzzles uh, that you have to solve quickly. But there's, so typically what happens is the energy spikes, you know, when there's something new and shiny in front of your path, you have a chance to exercise uh, different uh, creative and, and uh, cerebral muscles, so to speak. And then if you get a setback though, it can come tumbling down. And so that's, really what I faced in my journey in terms of the highs and the lows. It's just that as the challenges got greater, as the deadlines got tighter, the creative energy would explode, but then it would also, there would also be the fallout. Can you maybe talk to me a little bit about that in terms of, uh, in terms of your ex experience in the workplace? Oh yeah, gladly. So, um, it, I have, you know, I've worked in environments where they were very structural, structured and hierarchical, and you had to be very direct and time management uh, was mm -hmm. a big feature because so many pr competing priorities, sure. uh, people depended on me uh, for answers and decisions. And it was exhausting, absolutely exhausting for me mm -hmm. uh, to stay on that sort of rhythm because I can't sustain it. You know, right. I can't sustain it. Some of the features uh, I've been reading about with uh, new research about people with like high levels of creative creativity or folks with bipolar disorder, which is a big intersection there. Yeah. is that different areas of our brains light up on right. these scans. I had a scan done at the Amen Clinic, a SPECT scan, where they they, they gave me a, a shot that helped them scan my brain and so that my brain activity would show up on their their, uh, their scanner. And yeah. they did one when I was at And they did one when I was, uh, after I had done a bunch of computer tests that they were uh, testing me for like pattern matching and facial recognition, emotion recognition, and puzzles, and, and ver you know, mm -hmm. verbal you know, matching, and things like that. And uh, the difference is, you know, when my, my brain's at rest, you know, I, I, I have a concentration. Well, you, you, let me back up. Um, yeah. My brain activity is like across my, across my entire brain, regardless mm -hmm. of what's going on, you know? And mm -hmm. it, it lights mm -hmm. up more areas uh, than it does for normal people, where mo most folks, their activity when they're focusing lights up at the, you know, like the prefrontal cortex, like the front of localized, brain, yeah, the, localized activation as opposed to just all across the map, right? Yeah. And so when you get to work with, you know, even consulting or, you know, when you get to work with uh, activities that can be very stimulating, especially for me, like working in ideation or like design thinking, you know, I get very creative and my, right. my different, uh, you know, like you said, different muscles in my brain and different cognitive functions sort of start to take over and, you know, it gets really, uh, I get really creative by, I think my pattern matching sort of spikes a little bit. You know, I mm -hmm. start to think about, uh, you know, if you introduce me with a, introduce a problem to me, I might get inspired and think about other ways that I might solve that problem based on patterns I've seen before and, and, and introduce ideas that I think maybe come, come out of left field for some people, you know, that happens sure. a lot, like in the media that I've been, uh, in that role, uh, people used to be distracted, you know, like I'd go mm -hmm. chase a, a rabbit, you know, like go, I go down a rabbit hole, uh, just coming up with ideas and yeah. so it can be, I just see a kid and I just see a kid, a little Jeff in the meadow chasing a butterfly around, right? Like, yeah, a, like a new idea. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, yeah that's yeah. exactly what it's like. But the thing is like when I've also worked in roles, like I worked in a, 
like a skunk works type project at a, uh, mm-hmm. a, a mobile advertising agency or our company, ad tech company. And the VP of R&D and I were working on and the chief architect and the client engineer and a UX researcher friend that I hired. Mm-hmm. We were all chasing this idea of like a, a recommendation engine, like an algorithm that would yeah. help you, you know, get relevant news. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I was immersed in tech. Like we were talking to uh, some really blue chip players in the in the mm. in this space, okay. and as we were as we were exploring like what could be done, um, sometimes the VP of R and D and I, who I I, I learned was uh, uh, of a certain psychological type, like on the Myers Briggs, and I know that I'm an INTP, and I get really when I get paired with folks like him, I just get inspired. I start to sure. ramble, and people mm-hmm. say like, hey. I'll just go on a rant. I'll talk about uh, something that's firing in my mind, an idea or a pattern that I'm seeing or um, mm-hmm. something that sparked my creativity. And then he would just listen and he would, mm-hmm. and then he would say, Hey, Hey, say that again. <laughs> right. He wouldn't believe channel it, time channel it pro- productively. Yeah. Happens all so many times. Or I'll just be exploring my, um, a bunch of ideas that pop up and people are like, Oh, that was really interesting. Can you repeat that please? <laughs> and actually, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, so it's like, um, <laughs> right? Yeah, I could try to, yeah, but um, but it's interesting because I think what happens, I think what really good way for people that with this condition to contribute is when you have a partner like that, sure. especially working in tech or working in a creative field, when you have someone that, that gets how your brain works, yeah, can compliment you, you know, uh, and can carry the torch from what you're good at into what needs to be done. Um, I think it's a really uh, it's a really empowering sort of dynamic, and I've had yeah. been fortunate to work a couple of different scenarios where that was the case. But but yeah, yeah. it's very much like a, a creative brain, the one that I have. And, yeah. But it's yeah. it's very non-linear too, so it's difficult for me to like be very direct and linear, especially today where I don't. <laughs> I'm missing one of my uh, my medications. I take a medication mm. for ADD. Like uh, right. Yeah, challenge is speaking a straight line right now so so yeah it's just uh that, that's been my experience in in, uh, in my career it's just like when i can be the creative uh i can contribute my full self you know mm-hmm. when you when you ask me to do one thing and do do one thing only it can be very difficult uh especially sure. without the right method to, to be able to sustain that yeah it's a very interesting challenge because being someone with bipolar disorder, you know, I, I consider myself fairly creative. I think I have uh, pretty good ideas, especially when something uh, catches my attention. I, I can focus and commit to it, but it is it is hard to maintain that focus. I mean, there's a I'm not sure what in terms of your situation, but there's a high degree of com- comorbidity uh, with ADHD, where it's really tough to uh, to sustain this attention. So I've talked a little bit about some of the positions that might not be very well suited to people with bipolar disorder. I mean, I would say uh, consulting is is a challenging one. I mean, it's, it's it's not a universal law. I mean, obviously there are folks with bipolar disorder who have successful careers in this field. I think you you talked about it as well, which is about the importance of having a partner or a collaborator who can keep you on track, who can channel your energy productively. I'll speak to that a little bit as well. I mean, you and I have talked about uh, my situation wherein I'm fortunate to have a partner, not only in life, but also professionally, who as my wife, uh, she launched this company, Geostar, and uh, she's brought me on to help with marketing. And it's one of those things where I, you know, right up there with you, Jeff, I mean, if, if, if a new idea catches my attention, if there's some new, some new post on LinkedIn or Twitter, I'll chase it down uh, and find that person, connect with them, and really just become <laughs> become the expert on that topic in 24 hours. And then meanwhile, there's a whole list of deliverables that are piling up. So I would say definitely the environment is very important in terms of identifying a good uh, career path for someone with bipolar disorder. What would you say, I guess, if, if you were to add to that list uh, of, of uh, either positions or environments, of positions that are really well suited for people with bipolar disorder. I think it's, you mentioned a couple of really interesting uh, themes there with the comorbidity with ADHD, uh, yep. which I which I, I don't have an official ADHD diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a lot of the symptoms, but I think they bucket it all under bipolar disorder. Sure. Um, it's also, also worth mentioning, I got hit in the head. So I've got, yeah. I've got a little dent in my uh, missing gray matter up there too. 
uh, from uh, I think from a car accident. So some of the some of the symptoms of ADHD also manifest with people with traumatic brain injuries. So um, that's something that I I think I get the support for. But in the workplace, I think uh, some things that what I've learned is that bipolar people or people with bipolar disorder can do just about anything. Mm-hmm. The yeah. challenge becomes the uh, the support, the accommodations, which we're supposed to get wow. or should be eligible for. Uh, getting those accommodations or getting the right scenario or uh, or, or team uh, to work with you and make, make sure that you're able to be successful can be very difficult. That can sure. be very difficult. So, you know, the types of things I think we're naturally suited for are when we get to lead. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if, if we if we in charge of the direction, whether that's chasing a, a passion of ours or uh, being challenged to come up with a new solution or writing and creating. Yeah. If you have the people to support you, they can see when you're struggling, uh, help keep you oriented, and also capture the things that you uncover that um, that happen to be like, you know, the intersect with like, or, or even inspire them to achieve. So mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting because I, I think when we're self-paced, you know, when we yeah. can be the person controlling the, 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 uh, the beat, and I think that, re- that that becomes very productive for us. Sure. But anyone, I mean, look, I, I subscribe to the idea that anyone can do anything, you know, but it really mm-hmm. does come down to the scenario, uh, the team, if you have you know, people that are working with you um, and finding what ways to compliment yourself. You know, when I was working, yeah. um, when I was working in a, uh, you know, running my agency, uh, I hired people or contractors to help support me where I struggled. Well, whatever, and this is not just you know for because of my my disabilities, but then also because it's also just been skill wise, you know, like sure. I'm not a graphic designer, I'm not a uh, um, you know an illustrator, uh, I'm not a programmer necessarily, uh, so I would find those people to support me. But when you're working yeah. in an organization, uh, you don't necessarily have the dur- jurisdiction to be able to say, oh, I need this, I need that, you know, right. or or, right. or find that. So it's it really depends on if you if you have that sort of support um, and the scope to be able to make decisions about who to partner with uh, at a big company. You know, that's, I think they have more resources and they should be willing to support you and accommodate you like that. But it's not always the case. You know, a lot of times yeah. asking accommodation, you know, whether that's like uh, restructuring your job or changing the way that you're supervised or your performance is measured mm-hmm. uh, or getting more time to do tasks or working more independently, you know, where you have right. like a, a stack of work that, that, uh, that you can pick up um, and then you can work through that at your own pace. But the quality of your work is measured more than the quantity. That's another, another dimension of it. You know, like yeah. I a lot of times see and make connections that other people don't see and solve problems that people don't even aren't even aware exist. You know, they don't mm-hmm. notice that this is a, a deficit in, in our in our in our project or this, they don't notice there's a gap here in our solution and those yeah. kinds of connections uh, i'm really drawn to make let me let me ask you something jeff because I, i'd like to understand a little bit better speaking from personal experience one thing that just absolutely derailed my career i mean i think things are things are definitely on a better better track than they were but there were some rough moments um where once i'm into a new project uh things are exciting but then if there's like an offhand comment or something, some personal annoyance or disturbance or some conflict with a coworker kind of creeps in, it can literally, I mean, I, it, it could derail me for days, weeks sometimes. Did you face that a lot in your career, like in terms of personal, I guess you could call it drama, creeping into the workplace or maybe just getting your fe- you know, feelings hurt or the personal element derailing uh, the, the freight train of creativity. Sure. So I sure, became sure. a client of, of my state's uh, vocational rehab agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, when every state in the United States has a vocational rehab agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go there. Uh, mine's called the Department of Aging and Rehabilitative Services. I live in Virginia. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they were a great resource for me. They, they, they come up with, um, you know, jobs for you to apply to and supports and courses for you to take, uh, resume workshops, job interview workshops, but then also uh, just gave me like the support, having the state behind me. They, they, they decided yeah. that I was a uh, as disabled as a person can be, you know, priority one, and that I have three or more serious functional limitations that affect my, my daily life and my ability to work. So that yeah. sort of made me understand like the severity of, of my condition. You sure. know, like it is a real struggle 
my life is very different. My condition or my neurodivergence or whatever you want to call it is different than someone that has a more neurotypical or neurotypical, um, perhaps yeah. you know, have a, an easier time just being a member of society in the workforce. So uh, I, I need I do need support. And something that I would have loved, didn't get it, uh, is a job coach. Because mm. one of the challenges that people with, with neurodiversity, uh, with neurodivergence have, is we have interpersonal challenges. Sure. And like you said, personal things that come into, come in, like baggage we might have, experiences we might have that have, have been traumatic, can affect us and how our ability to work. Now, you know, one of my more recent roles, uh, I was working with, um, uh, with a tech lead where we just, we just butted heads. We just couldn't okay. get along. Uh, and I know that she had some some challenges uh, and some baggage, and I had some baggage, and you know it just became two rough edges to just ground on each other. Sure. And so, uh, what really would have been wonderful to have for me mm-hmm. is uh, the accommodation where I, I could have had a job coach. And I think what happens is when when you ask for a job coach, like I've never had one before, but I understand yeah. what, they, what they can do. Tell me more about the job coach concept. I'm I'm I'm, yeah. I'm curious about this uh, concept because obviously how most companies have an HR department, they have some type of counseling. But tell me a little bit more about this uh, the job coach. Is that somebody who has the disorder that you're talking, or is sort of in that ballpark in terms of their psychological profile, or is it something else about someone who maybe helps navigate some of these challenges? I think it can be someone with a lived experience, you know, like a peer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, be some, it could just be someone who has a training and in in, uh, in our case, experience working or experience or training and supporting people with psychiatric disabilities or mm-hmm. neurodivergence. I think you can have a specialist, yeah. Uh, but for me, what really would have been helpful is to have a job coach, uh, someone who sits in on my meetings, someone who mm-hmm. uh, is aware of some of the work that I'm doing and can work with my, you know, my manager, uh, myself, my teammates to see where my disability is interfering with my ability to be productive or yeah. stay on task, deliver mm-hmm. on time. And also how that affects my team and the output of, and the quality of the work that we're doing or quantity even. So yeah. it's really someone that can uh, who, who you do not report to, who's there for you and, and your employment, who's in support of your employment, but then also as such as an advocate for you, but then also is you know aligned to what the, the team or the company's mission is, so they mm-hmm. can help you express your best self uh, and be the most productive you. Uh, and that find a way for your team and your organization to support you so that you can be as much of an asset as perhaps someone who's, who doesn't have these challenges uh, can be. And I think that's really what it comes down to is like having an advocate for your productivity, uh, for your contributions and helping the, the organization and your team and, and or your manager understand, um, you know, what deficits you may have and also mm-hmm. like what supports they can provide for those. Uh, but then also to see in other case, you know, what what the gifts that you may have that other people uh, may not right. be aware of. Right. How to, how it sounds, so, sounds a lot like um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the IEP concept, the individualized education program for but I'm thinking about that because my son has an IEP where it's catered towards some of the challenges, some of the strengths. Are you familiar with that IEP concept? You know, heard that. I actually just went through that uh, with my son. I've got a six-year-old uh, to see if okay. he needed one. They decided that, you know, we decided he didn't. Uh, he, okay. he was doing better than we thought. But, you know, I get the idea of is like having some, having a, an individualized uh, path or, uh, or support for you. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's so important because I look at my son and he's, he's very intelligent, but he's a little bit of, as I said before, a square peg in a round hole. And a lot of these yep. timelines, a lot of these required behaviors just sitting in class and um, just conforming to the template is very challenging and so i I just am very very heartened uh, to see that the educational system is trying to provide accommodation so that these people can have a successful career and i think it's amazing yeah what you're proposing for for the workforce it's just have you seen something like that in place no it's not something that i've had experience with you know i i had uh through the state uh, vocational rehab agency, through DARS, uh, I was able to get a communication coach okay. uh, who was invaluable for me uh, and just helped mm-hmm. me if I was having some interpersonal challenges or like wasn't saying it right, you know, or wasn't advocating for myself in a way. But she wasn't internal. And I think what really would help is if we had these types of advocates internally 
uh, and could work with HR. But it, honestly, I think it's just a complete gap in the system right now. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've seen some people in the, uh, especially in the neurodiversity space, try to step into this this role. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a there's a, a lady, I can't remember her name, uh, but she goes by for all abilities. I think it's like for all, all for all abilities dot com, and she's on Instagram too. Shares some good content in this space. Where it's like job design, you know, uh, mm-hmm. helping an organization know how to write their job postings so that they can still be uh, so that people with these you know different challenges or are uh, different ways of, of being and, and showing up in the workplace, understand that they, they can still be eligible or still be qualified or, or, or uh, competent enough to mm-hmm. be able to fill these roles. And because I think a lot of times when you have structural ableism, systemic stigma and all those types of things, it's easy for someone who doesn't have these challenges to, to write a job description or a task, you know, or, right. uh, or measure someone. Yeah, performance yeah, objectives. It's not, yeah. Uh, and they, they don't realize that they're encoding uh, a sort of ableist perspective or ableist a bias like, uh, yeah. bias into how they're writing it or how they're sure. they're defining it. and it can be a real barrier you sure. know to contributing if if something is written a certain way or is measured a certain way and like you you know there's like there's that quote about gold measuring a goldfish by its ability to climb a tree it, it, it becomes <laughs> it's the same thing yeah, yeah right <laughs> Yeah, not an imperfect uh, yardstick, I guess you could say. So, you know, on your on your profile, you know, you've got three pillars, I guess you could say there. You've got innovation, product management, and the other one is uh, neurodiversity. And that's a very interesting concept because typically when you talk about neurodiversity or all the press that's out there, typically it seems to be more centered around autism. But it sounds right. like what, what you're trying to uh, push forward is that neurodiversity it's trying to broaden the context in which that term is used uh, to also apply to people with bipolar disorder. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, your efforts in advocacy, because obviously you're a very creative person. It sounds like you've got a lot of plates spinning, but I wanted to talk about your goals or maybe what you've accomplished in the space of uh, bipolar advocacy. And if you could talk a little bit about uh, the app uh, that we had discussed a little bit, and maybe, you know, just if if there's folks who are listening, you know, if, if there's people that you'd like to collaborate with or, or uh, uh, maybe just even have coffee with, uh, maybe talk a little bit about that uh, in, a, in a broader sense. There's a lot of things here with neurodiversity. There's, you know, neurodiversity is a term that was uh, it originated, was born from the research uh, that I believe Judy Singer did in mm-hmm. the late 90s and some of the research and uh, and uh, reporting that another gentleman wrote in uh, Neurotribes, and a lot of like, a lot of this emerged around the early aught uh, from the autistic community. And so, you know, th- there was uh, an adoption of this in the autistic community uh, to help yeah. them understand that you, you know, and help their world in their world, uh, their caregivers and, and others understand that autism isn't something they cured. It's just a way of life. It's a way of being that's okay. Right. And so, but this this idea has turned into this theory, you know, of uh, natural biodiversity is the same thing with brain diversity, which is the same thing with like behavior diversity. It has spread beyond just autism, you know, which has just gone into like things with like ADHD is highly comorbid with autism, but then also comorbid with, right. with bipolar. Uh, and likewise, all these different um, conditions that are labeled uh, and as you know, and diagnosed and uh, uh, discussed as disorders in the in the um, medical community are also identities. So, yeah, I think we were talking about that before about how uh, they're not necessarily disorders, but it's almost like traits of the human being, like brown eyes, yeah. black hair, etc. Yeah, yeah, You've got small people, short people, big people, tall people. Uh, you know. Uh, light-skinned people, dark-skinned people, and and folks with all different attributes. Uh, Likewise, you've got brains that that are all different sizes and shapes and so on. Uh, So you've got people with different neurologies or different bodies. And as such, you've got different types of behavior. And not all of the behaviors are are necessarily like adaptive. You know, like sometimes you've got someone who can't focus. Uh, Sometimes you've got someone who can't, can't control their speech. Yep. Or folks, even that walk, you know, all these are different ways of being in, in, in the world. And they're all okay. Yeah. You know, they all have to be because this is how we are. Uh, but they, but they, 
the challenge is that society was built and structured for folks that are that are more of the mode you know like mm-hmm. the the most common uh type of a way to show up in the world so right. we have to figure out a way to be and uh or it makes make the world accessible you know if we can't mm-hmm. design an inclusive world from this from scratch neurodiversity isn't specific to autism it has grown into a more spectrum of neurologies or or conditions or, or ways of yeah. being mm-hmm. um, bipolar disorder which can be something it's you know has a genetic origin that can be triggered or you know expressed as a result of trauma is also one of those uh, sorts of orientations and yeah. i think what's really interesting about neurodiversity is it doesn't necessarily belong to a diagnosis or mm-hmm. uh, a type of or like a paradigm yeah to, to it's consider. a way yeah it's a perspective uh, it's a way of a new way of assessing all these different attributes Yeah, really it's like a lens, you know? Yeah, Recognizing exactly. that the person that you're interacting with is different than you. Their body is yeah. different, their brain is different, and their behavior is different. And that's all okay. It's not okay to to um to act out or or break the law or uh hurt yeah. somebody. Those are things that aren't okay, but like the way that people speak, uh the way people think, all that all those differences are natural. And it's not sure. necessarily it's not to say that one is wrong or one is right so long as we're we're all you know trying to get along uh, we've got to make room for everybody and mm-hmm. so i think neurodiverse really interesting uh sort of new lens or and uh and shift uh, instead of thinking of people with medical diagnoses as as broken or sick like the medical world um yeah. they consider disordered uh we just think of us as different and, and it's I not like a binary yeah it's it, it's not a binary uh thing it's a, it's more of a continuum that there's shades of gray. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. I love how, how does this play into your advocacy? Tell me more about um what your what your goals are. I mean, are you have you thought about maybe doing some speaking or maybe and tell me more about the app, I guess. I'd, I'd love to hear more about uh all those different yeah, uh, irons you have in the fire, I guess. Yeah. Uh happy to. So, you know, I have been self-advocating uh since college. You know, mm-hmm. I've lived out as bipolar since I was diagnosed. I uh, as a the result I've encountered a lot of different uh scenarios where there's been stigma and bias yeah, yeah. Uh, structural and mental, you know and so I've learned what it's like to be uh, someone with a serious mental illness or a dis- you know a very different way of being or divergence sure. uh, in the world so I've only just recently in the last couple of years really understood the significance of that socially you know like uh, the opportunity I should say for me to to step into more of an advocacy role you know i i thought maybe i could start after working at a in an innovation group uh where i was able to get some patents through uh that i might start a place for people like us you know like a, mm-hmm. a an incubator for divergence mm-hmm. where i could help them develop products or express uh some ideas um help them define what what they see in a way that could be beneficial to others to help them manifest that so it could be like a portfolio it could be a patent it could be a script or what have you and that, i i would just love yeah. to a part of a team like that to help bring those ideas from the neurodivergence uh diverse diverse community into reality. So, yeah. um you know advocacy really became uh a, a way for me to heal. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through a lot of stuff uh like a midlife crisis, I lost my father, got divorced and I decided to come off my medicine, which was a terrible idea for me. Yeah. And uh and had to rebuild you know. And so in doing this, I was able to get friends and family and uh people that really cared about me that I would consider like part of my brain trust. So they would just um ask me how I'm doing. I t- I'd tell them to keep them updated, you know. And I mm-hmm. thought, man, what a wonderful resource to have this chat. It's only about a half sure. dozen uh that that are just listening in, you know, as I'm as I'm updating them. Uh can chime yeah. in and give me motivation or ask me questions, help me keep me centered. kind of like what a therapist does but these people are in my community and they see me uh they see me as they've known me their whole lives or my whole life you know yeah. they, they're aware of different proclivities and uh you know particularities in a way that I don't yeah. think a medical professional can really appreciate they'll see the three-dimensional version of you as opposed to the static cross section that the therapist typically sees Yeah, and they're not necessarily pathologizing me. They're not thinking right. of me as disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just concerned that I'm I'm doing well, just like I'd be concerned that they are. Mm-hmm. So I thought I wonder what would happen if practitioners and providers could get this information from uh, a patient's peer group, you know? Sure. 
if there are a way for people that are on the care team of a uh, in care team, I mean, like, you know, your, clo- your loved ones or people that, that check on you it could be a sponsor, a teacher, a neighbor, a parishioner, or, you know, what mm-hmm. have you to report, you know, when someone isn't doing well or maybe a right. medication change causes them to go off the rails or sure. uh, maybe if they're having a side effect or a symptom that they're not reporting because they may not have the awareness of it. I mean, that could save someone's life. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that type of information getting back to a prescriber could make all the difference between this person, um, you know, uh, losing their job or yeah. uh, or behaving erratically in public and getting arrested for it versus a valued contributor in their community or, you know, who knows? Yeah. Well, I'll, I can tell you that that's a very powerful, uh, to use our terminology, use case. And I can speak to that from personal experience, because as a lot of people with bipolar disorder can attest to, 70% of bipolar patients are misdiagnosed because typically what happens is when you're in a manic phase, you're on top of the world, you just know nothing's going to stop you. And why would you want to go get changed? <laughs> you know, it's everyone else who doesn't get your, your genius. So typically the only time that people go in for treatment is once they've plummeted into depression. And that's what happened to me over and over and over again. It's just that I would be on a high and then, you know, obviously uh, things would trend downwards. And then that's when I would go see treatment. And unfortunately, just kept getting identified as depression. And so I think what you're describing is is very important is that, you know, the family, I think, needs a voice, uh, family, the friends, they need some type of line into the therapist. Is that uh, somewhere along the lines of what uh, what your peer care app is, is designed for? No, you're, you're exactly right. The yeah. idea with peer care is it's a way for the people that care about you mm-hmm. to update your providers on uh, on what they see, you know, yeah. that's happening to you. And if the providers have access to a 360 degree view of a patient in their own community. Right. Uh, it's an SMS based platform, you know, where I have my, my peers, but mm-hmm. it's thing that I'm recruiting beta testers for as I continue to refine it. Sure. Uh, where my peers get a survey message to them, they answer a few questions and they fill in uh, a couple answers that for questions that uh, aren't quantitative, where they can record what could potentially be very in, in, uh, important information for a provider to view. And then it sure. connects to through a database and an API into uh, an electronic healthcare record, uh, health record, uh, or a case management system where mm-hmm. the providers can review this information and consider it, you know, as part of their, uh, their normal care or their treatment uh, plan. Right. And so it's a really interesting opportunity, I think, for people that care about a patient to contribute to their treatment. Sure. I think that's really what, where I think of peer care is the intersection of that problem, because a patient doesn't always know when they're not well. And also mm-hmm. they may not always speak up um, or self-report. Some people yeah. with bipolar disorder with addiction because they're used to self-medicating and they, they know right. how they would like to feel. And they may, as a result, abuse drugs or, or other even behaviors, you know, like mm-hmm. gambling and, and sex right. to help them stay stimulated. So that's something that providers may not hear from the patient themselves. But if, mm-hmm. a, if a peer group, you know, concerned about them, tells the provider that, hey, he's drinking a lot of caffeine again or right. uh, he's. He's being very promiscuous. Is he okay? I yeah. think he might be manic. Yeah. Uh, but the patient themselves might not be willing or able or aware enough to report that to their their prescriber, you know, or their therapist. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I work on a, a platform for caregivers or have been recently, mm-hmm. healthcare incubator. And we, we, I, I get to talk to some social workers. And so I was learning about some practices and a, a, a provider, a neuropsychiatrist I used to go to, they have a social worker in the practice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good model. It's a really good model where it's not your therapist necessarily, it's not your prescriber necessarily, but it's someone with the, with the experience with social work and, and the practices there, which, which really means like access to a number of different resources and yeah. people are just trained in knowing how to connect people uh, and how to support people as they grow and get stronger and, and recover uh, right. and integrate in aspects of, of the world and workplace and so on. So these people are really well suited for that sort of uh, uh, information because they're not mm-hmm. the one, it doesn't interfere with your care, but are people that can inform your care, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and also drive the, uh, what you're, what they're gathering 
uh, for for the professionals who are who are all in your care team, your medical care team. So, yeah, yeah I'm really excited about peer care. I think it, it, it really is a problem that um, takes all kinds. You know, it takes yeah. the village, so to speak, to get someone yeah. well again. Absolutely. If, is there anything else you want to add to wrap things up? I think the best way for people to keep in touch with me is just check out bipolarist.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, the bipolarist. Instagram at the same and uh, slash bipolarist on Facebook. But I, I'm really just, I'm out here. You know, I'm out here for people like us, people with neurodivergence. I, I want to have that conversation that may be awkward or difficult. I want to yep. advocate for workplace. Uh, I hope that I'll be able to to come back on this show and, and, and speak yeah. with others on Twitter spaces and uh, maybe if I'm lucky, you know, uh, some panels yeah. where we can really start to define a future for people with serious mental illness as being accepted and included in, uh, in the workplace and understood in society. That's something I'm really excited about. So yeah, yep. check me out online and, you know, if you, and feel free to book a, book a time with me on my website. We can uh, schedule a call for uh, just a chat to see what's going on with your life and how I might be able to help you. Perfect. Perfect. And that's bipolarist.com. Uh, I think you said your Twitter handle is also uh, bipolarist or is that, uh, was there another handle that, uh, yeah, that you used Twitter? Someone has it on Twitter. So I went with the okay. bipolarist. Uh -huh. Find me as the bipolarist Instagram as well. Uh, and bipolarist itself on Facebook. Uh, anyone in particular you're looking to uh, connect with? You've mentioned some incubators. You've mentioned product developers. Any uh, any specific profiles of folks you'd like to connect with? If you are a prescriber or a uh, social worker or you know, some sort of care care worker for folks with mental, serious mental illness, I'd love to talk to you. Maybe we can set you up with beta access to peer care. Or if you're someone that's organizing a panel or a conference, you know I'm available as a speaker. So very interested Perfect. to to in any aspect to the. Uh, the, to the movement. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. This was really a treat to speak to you. I always uh, really feel like uh, there's a lot uh, we have to discuss uh, with our shared backgrounds and uh, perspectives. And I think through conversations like this, we can definitely help further break the stigma and just help people with not just bipolar disorder, but different uh, pe people who are on different points of the spectrum just live happier and healthier lives. So, uh, so thanks again, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Nick Keel, and thanks to Shelly yeah. for having me on.